Monday. All right, good morning, church. I hope you are enjoying the little bit cooler weather that God has given us. It is a great day here to recognize uh, Senior Sunday. So uh, seniors who have graduated, um, we're looking forward to being able to put a little bit of spotlight on them here shortly. But would you stand with us this morning as we open with a song, 10,000 Reasons. Yes, I will worship your home. 
gesehen. All right, good morning. So it's that time of the year where people are graduating from high school, and we actually have five seniors this year that have attended Crosspoint for a very long time. So if you are a senior out there that has graduated this year, we would like to ask you to come up on stage. We got some stuff for you, and we're going to talk about you real quick. So we have three seniors here today. There's actually five seniors. Jacob Harris graduated from West Claremont High School, and then Melvin Flores also graduated from West Claremont High School. Then we got these tall guys over here. I usually don't feel small, but sometimes, like, around these guys, they kind of make me feel a little bit smaller than I am. Um, so we got Kurt Thompson, Spencer Bovey, Andrew Bovey. They, the Boveys graduated from West Claremont High School, and then Kurt from Moeller High School. Um, so... They're going to do a better job of explaining what their plans are after high school. Um, I've asked them to kind of explain where they're going to be going to school or if they're going to school, what they are um, going to be studying, and then plans for, like, after college if that's – you guys are all planning on going to college, right? Not that you have to by any means. I didn't know what I was doing three years out of high school, so these guys are ahead of where I was at that time. So, um, anyone want to start? All right, Kurt. So, I'm going to West Point and playing football. Um, I don't know what I'll be studying after my sophomore year. Then that's when we, like, really start getting into what we want to do in the future. Um, so, that's really what I'm doing. All right, Spencer. I'm planning to attend the University of Cincinnati and studying their information technology program. And after I do that, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do. Hopefully, just get a well-paying job. <laughs> so. I'm also planning on attending UC, um, and I'm going into media production and also Spanish. Yeah. So they got some they, – they have their stuff planned out already. Um, I know when I was at their age, seems like forever ago, I didn't have any idea what I was doing out of high school, so they're on the right track. Um, we have some gifts for you. We'll give those to you as you guys exit the stage, but we just wanted to say it's been fun, you know, watching you grow up. This is probably the first group I can say that I've actually seen, like, from birth to now. I've seen you guys grow up here in the church, so... Um, it's been really cool watching you guys grow into these men, tall men that, you know, you know, faithful church members and, you know, serving in the church and throughout the community. It's been really fun to watch you guys. And, um, you know, you always have a spot here at Cross Point. So um, whether you travel away or you're coming back to visit or if you want to make this your um, home spot, you know, you guys are always welcome here. So. Um, and congratulations on graduating. We can give them a round of, round of applause. So, and then uh, Brian's going to pray and close us here in prayer, and then we'll get you guys your, your gifts. Uh, thank you. Uh, I would actually say that I taught all three of these kids in Awana also. I mean, not Awana, but in Bible Quest, and they've all outgrown me too, so. I still remember playing kickball with them out there, and now they're all being very successful, and I'm just very proud of all of you. So I'm going to lead us in prayer here. Lord, just uh, I come to you very thankful for the blessings you give us, thankful for these three men up here, Lord, that I've seen grown into uh, very uh, diligent, very uh, hardworking young men that have uh, just made many people proud, Lord. I just pray that you just uh, continue to be with them in their, uh, their next steps of life as they go off to school and as they uh, 
seek future things, Lord, that they would always be as diligent as they have been in their studies, and they also ask them to be as diligent in seeking that walk with you, Lord. I just, they can be very successful in many things, Lord, but the most important thing it is to be successful and to be honoring to you. So I just, as they move forward, Lord, I pray that they would just be just drawn closer to you each day, Lord. I uh, ask that you just watch over them, guide them, and just, uh, as Brandon said, Lord, just help them to know that they always have a place here and that I hope we can be encouragement to them as they uh, move on, Lord. And just in everything we do and say, Lord, I just ask we just give you the praise and honor and uh, ask all this in your most precious name. Amen. All right, would you stand with us as we worship the Lord one more time in song this morning? All I have is Christ.
Lord Jesus, we lift up your name this morning. Lord, we are grateful that we could take a few moments to um, let our seniors know that we're thinking about them. Lord, help us as a church to be diligent to pray for them, to be active in their lives. God, to just uh, be that church family support that they will need as they continue to grow through life and to develop into adulthood. God, we are grateful that they are a part of this church. God, we pray that you would receive the glory from the praise this morning, and that as your word is opened, Lord, that you would open our eyes of understanding and our heart, and that your spirit would work in us to bring you glory. Lord, we lift all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we take the time this morning to open God's word, I pray that you're here on purpose. You chose to be here, now be here on purpose. I love that line that I stole from somebody. But um, what I want to do, if you'll allow me for just a moment, is uh, I heard Brandon say how humbling it is to see these guys. I mean, you had them all. You probably, you're probably about, what, 10 when they were born or so, right? And if you'll give me that moment as well, uh, without taking too much time, Brandon, I remember when Zach was born, I almost remember when you were born. So you want to talk about being humbled here. I know what that feels like, and it's encouraging to watch. But I want to take a moment, and I'm, I'm excited for these three graduates. The first thing I thought when I saw them standing up here is we need a cross-point volleyball team. I mean, <laughs> then they look tall. They look huge. And um, as I was um, the uh, – Kurt, I want to take a moment and uh, – I was kind of had a moment to talk to him, like, you know, West Point, how's that come about? He actually has a scholarship to play at West Point. And, you know, I'm getting a patriotic and emotional, and he's going, yeah, they're going to pay me to play football. That was kind of the – so we're paying for that bill. I mean, it, it's a government thing. But uh, excited for – listen, uh, we have an all-volunteer army, uh, military, and um, it's a scary time. It could be unnerving right now is probably the better phrase – for people to step up and go into um, that field. So thank you for having that heart, very much so. I don't mean that to be in a platitude kind of way. Thank you for your service. What we're, we're saying is you made a decision. Thank you for making that decision on our behalf. We mean that. The other is uh, Spencer. Um, he, I heard him mention you know, his field and what he desires to do. He's one of the techie guys back there. And uh, he wants to make his first million. And he actually started already on that first million. He's now working at Chick-fil-A. So <laughs> the good news is he has every Sunday off. You know, God's chicken. That you, It's blessed stuff there. And uh, for Andrew, um, I want to uh, just draw attention to this fact. Andrew um, wants whatever God wants is kind of how he phrases it. And we need to be aiming at things, absolutely. We need to be aiming in life, sure, sure, absolutely. But don't forget that everything that we do is only by God's grace, his strength, his, his, his benevolence. So just keep that in mind as you three take those next steps. But also for us as adults, amen? We need to keep him first and foremost in our hearts and in our minds and in our thinking. It's in our thinking that matters. And I want us to turn this morning to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, if faithful life will be patient with me, John Brinker taught in faithful life this morning. We, um, I'm kind of doing what I did last week. We covered one through five and we kind of picked up some more things, but I, I wanted to share um, from verse 16 on as we think about some very important aspects of our walk and of our culture as it relates to Cross Point Baptist Church, probably more importantly, the Word of God. You're going to see that as Paul arrived in the city of Athens, and it's in Greece, uh, he didn't go there as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. I, uh, um, there's a, a, a famous quote, uh, you probably don't know this guy's name, Noel Lyons, he said, he's a missionary, he said, Europe is looked over by millions of visitors and is overlooked by millions of Christians. In fact, I know a gentleman right now who's in Europe, um, 
on a vacation. He's, he's seeing the sights. He wanted to see them. But Europe needs the gospel message as much today as it did then. Athens, where we're talking about. But America needs the gospel like, it ever, like it's ever needed before as well. Paul, like Paul, we must have open eyes and broken hearts. You may think, I don't want to live my life with a broken heart. That's not fun. It's not talking about being mopey and sad. Open our eyes to what's going on around us. Open our eyes to what life and, and, and how it works in conjunction with what the Bible says our life book tells us. So there's where the broken heart comes in. When you have the truth of God's word in your hands and on your laps or on your phone, when you have it in your heart and you see people struggling in life, you see them, why are they struggling? It's not because they've only made bad choices. It's, it's a heart issue. Everything is a heart issue. Everything. And we have the answer right here in our hands. Very interesting as uh, chapter 17 kind of starts to unfold again. We'll pick up in verse 16. But <clears throat> the three areas, three churches, if you, three, let's just call them areas for now because they're really not churches. But Thessalonica was the first area. We see that in what? Verses 1 through 4. It's the first area. It is, uh, we would phrase that as resisting the word. We're going to be talking about three areas of a location where people are in population. And one consistent Three different areas. One thing's consistent is the word. It's consistent. It's consistent in what's going on here. It's consistent in your life. The word never changes. Listen, people. That's an amen spot right there. The word never changes. If, if the word changed, we might as well pack it up. The word of God never changes. So Thessalonica is seen as resisting the word. They, 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 now, I'm talking about the city and the area of the people. Pause that for a second. The church that ends up being in Thessalonica becomes a, 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 a sample, uh, an example church, uh, a poster child church, if you will, of what a church should look like later. But that's the church. But the area, they resisted the word. How do we know that? They, uh, well, uh, we're just not going to go into it. They resisted the word. The second area is in Berea, verses 10 through 14. That's 15. Berea, they received the word. Thessalonica resisted the word. Berea received the word. Not Berea, Kentucky. Different place. But Berea, they received the word. Uh, by the way, just a, just a glimpse if we can. Look at verse 11. One of... Um, one of my favorite verses, verse 11. These were more fair-minded. That word fair-minded is, is um, it's just interesting too. The word really means noble. Now, not because they're, they're something special, but they were seeking out what was in front of them. They were being responsible with the light, with the truth that was in front of them. They were more noble, more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily. Did you see that? See what happens when you take that truth that you have, uh, the truth of God's word. You have the truth and you're responsible with it. And you grow and you, you, you learn. You want to know all that you can. They're more fair-minded to find out whether these things are so. In other words, don't take the word of every person that you hear from uh, coming in the name of God. Don't take the word of every person uh, that you hear in your workplace, every man, woman, boy, or girl that is spouting off the things of God if it doesn't align with the Word of God. It's got to align with the Word. So they were more fair-minded. They were noble. Why? Because they received the Word with all readiness. I was watching, I was thumbing through the old TV the other day and uh, on PBS kind of show, and the title was The Mysteries of the Bible. And I thought, well, I'm a pastor and they have mysteries of the Bible, wow, they're going to tell me something that's going to help me understand this thing. It was true. The title of the message was true of, of the PBS program, Mysteries of a Bible, because it was a mystery to them. It, it was definitely a mystery. They had a professor of religion of one of the big, big universities, and it amazed me what he said. 
I'm going to circle back to that. Remind me to circle back to that. I don't, wanna, uh, I don't want you to miss this point on what made it incredible or the mystery. But the people of Rhea, they received the word. But then the people we're looking at today, the people of Athens, they, they, they were ridiculing the word. They were ridiculing the word. Quick question. Answer this in your hearts and minds. Do not answer it out loud. Which sounds like America today? Resisting the word? Receiving the word? Or ridiculing the word? Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? I said don't answer out loud, Gary. <laughs> I would throw in, well, it's not in scripture, but I think apathy toward the word. Okay, but let's look at today as we pick up in verse 16, if we can, please. Athens, ridiculing the word, the city at this time. Where are we at? Um, uh it's in a period of decline. We know Athens is full of history for us, but in this time frame, in real time for them in Acts 17, it was in a period of decline. It was still recognized as a center of culture and education as it is today. It was still recognized as such. Beautiful buildings as well. Who's in here ever been to Greece? Anybody? A handful. Wow. They're probably military guys, I would assume. Yep have seen um, uh, this beautiful uh, country slash city. Its political power had faded by Acts 17. It's starting to fade along with its commerce. A lot of times in countries, the bottom line of the country is the bottom line of the country. And when commerce goes away, it, it has that uh, effect. The city was given over to cultural paganism. Look in verse 21. Uh, Acts 17, 21, and then we'll get back to verse 16 and get going. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Did you catch that? Cultural paganism, philosophy, they were looking for something new. Greek religion was given over to art and amusement. Mythology. In fact, I know of a guy who was going to Greece, wanted to go see Greece for just for the mythology alone. Interesting. And this broke Paul's heart. Look at verse 16. Here we go. Verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. It broke his heart. Why would that break his heart? Why would it break his heart that these people were given over to idols? You think, oh, pastor, that doesn't happen in 2022. Sure it does. We just don't melt down objects and make idols. Our idols just look different. But we have idols of the heart all the time. We find it in our cars, in our boats, in our houses. We find it in people. We put other things ahead of God, and that's all that an idol is, if we could simply define it. But his heart was broke. Why? Something else was in the place of God. Every time that something else is in the place of God, that is a miserable life. No, can't be. They have all the stuff. Look at them smiling. Temporary happiness can no override the joy of the Lord. Here he is in verse 16. He's brokenhearted. And if I could speak to the church for just a moment, as I have had to contemplate this myself. Am I, are we, brokenhearted over the people that do not know Christ as their Savior? Or do we just pity? Oh, I feel so sorry for them. There's a difference between being brokenhearted, because if you're brokenhearted over something that you can do something about, we can get mobile in that. But pity just goes, oh, isn't that sad? And we never have to leave the couch. Paul was brokenhearted. Why was he brokenhearted? Because he had the answer. Less than 100 miles away from Athens right here, which is also in, in Greece, Paul gives reasons for his righteous indignation. Keep your finger in Acts. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 is just a book away if you're... Um, have your Bibles, it'll be that way. If you have your phone, it'll be this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. 
This is his righteous indignation. Why is Paul so heartbroken? Why is he so bothered by this? Look in 1 Corinthians 10, 20. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have a fellowship with demons. That's why he's brokenhearted. They're doing the right things in religion, but to the wrong God. That's why he's brokenhearted. They're being duped. They're, they're, they're trying to go through an exercise they think will get them someplace. They'll get them in the good graces of God. But when we read the scripture, do we know what that is? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ and grace. Oh, his grace. That puts us in that right relationship. He paid a price that we never could have paid. He kind of took religion and went. He pushed all religion aside and became our savior. So as, but the bigger, bigger damaging effect in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 is that they were doing the right things, but to the wrong God. Think about that. Doesn't get more opposite than God than to mention demons. More opposite than Christ than to mention demons. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. That's why he's brokenhearted. He doesn't want that for them. Go back to Acts 17 once again. We saw that while he was there at Athens in verse 16, his spirit was provoked with him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. This isn't just people. This is the whole city. The uh, whole city that it happened. Verse 17 reads, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. I love that last line. They just happened to be there. They were doing everyday life. They're in the marketplace. Now, they didn't have a Myers and a Kroger's and a, a Jungle Gyms like we have. They would sometimes have to go to the market every day, every day to, keep, to get fresh food. Make sense? So verse 17, Paul did something about it. He did something about their spiritual condition. He did something about the fact that he was brokenhearted. By the way, if you think Paul was brokenhearted and we're considering right now, am I brokenhearted? You ever stop and think about this from God's perspective? Brokenhearted. He feels that. Spiritual lives were at stake. It says in verse 17 that he went to the synagogue. There is, a, uh, I don't think we've taken time over the years to set that up. We know what that is. It is a re religious centerpiece, if you will, for the people mainly of, uh, of Jewish, of, of Israel. But he had the pedigree to teach there. He could go in there, show his Pharisee card, and get in and say what he needed to say. He used that card, but for God's glory. And he went to the marketplace daily. Say daily. Daily, he went to the marketplace. When did the Bereans search out the scripture? A couple verses earlier. Daily. And by the way, those of you that go and buy daily breads, our daily bread devotionals that we get, they are notoriously two to three weeks behind. So uh, June, here we are, the first week of June, we do not have them. When they get in, we'll put it on a bulletin board. Everybody will know the daily breads are here. But you can probably check it out. Uh, still get your devotions online. But daily, ministered from the synagogue, and then he took it to the streets. I love that. He went from the synagogue, took it to the streets. Verse 18, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said... What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. He's ridiculed. Paul is ridiculed publicly, but along with Christ. It's, listen, we are a fragile people as human beings. We, a little bit of, of being ridiculed can crumble us. Who can remember something that was said or done to you as a child that you remember this day as an adult? We're all there. We're all there. We can remember one little thing that um, uh, being ridiculed or made fun of. Hopefully you weren't the one doing the ridiculing. Uh, but not only was Paul being ridiculed, but so was his message. As I'm going to share about the Epicureans and the Stoics in a, in a moment. But please, as we read this about Paul... I've heard it said this, that Paul was on fire at Areopagus. He was on fire in Athens. He was, he was preaching it hard. Okay, but you know, Paul also knew how to communicate 
and to talk to people, not down to people. We want to talk across to people, not down to people. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Well, sometimes we get this idea that if I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to share his death, his burial, his resurrection, i got to be foaming at the mouth and fired up and all wound up and talking too fast. He's in the marketplace, and he's talking to people. In the synagogue, he may be more direct, but he's talking to people. He's getting ready to be on a public stage here in a moment be interesting i think the language reads that he was a little bit more direct but let's think about these these two groups of people briefly the epicurean they believed that the chief end of man was pleasure and happiness the epicurean i actually looked that up uh even just again this morning um uh, and it came from the teacher epicurus in 341 to 270 B.C. Jewel knew him personally, so he understood that teaching. Jewel, did he get it? He got it here, okay. The, uh, but they believe, this is, so this is the group of people that he's talking about in verse 18. Certain Epicurean, certain people that believe that the chief end to man and woman was pleasure. Does that kind of sound like the American dream? What is the American dream? Well, I know it to be 2.4 kids, a house, white picket fence, a retirement plan, early retirement if you can, and just kind of coast it out for the rest of your life. It's what I know the American dream to be. Sounds like a good life, too. But we have to be careful that that dream doesn't become our identity, our idol, our 401k, our retirement, our our X amount of years on this earth that we think this is only have this much time left becomes our idol. We have to be careful with that. If you're a believer today, he wants you loving and ministering all the time. Never retiring from your walk with him. And the Stoics, you'll see this in the next part of verse 17. He re, um, I'm sorry, 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Stoic followed Zeno is the guy's name uh, again in the B.C. era. They were pantheists uh, who believed the universe was ruled by absolute will. Pantheists. In other words, gods are in the nature, in the trees, in the, all these things. The byproduct of such philosophy, the byproduct of Epicurean thinking, the byproduct of being stoic is the same byproduct of anything else that's man-made. It's pride and self-sufficiency. It's pride and self-sufficiency. Look at the response in verse 18. The back part says certain Epicureans, Stoic philosophers, encountered him. They're, they're having this dialogue. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? So they uh, take a jab at him there, calling him a, a, a babbler. A, um, let's just leave it at babbler. I think we know what that word means. What does he want to say? Others say he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. I'm going to pause right there for a moment. One who, a babbler is one who picks up scraps. In other words, Paul is this babbler, the guy who takes a little from us, takes a little from Epicurean, takes a little, anything that he can get his hands on, Judaism, takes a little of that, and he's just kind of coming up. In fact, they're going to say, hey, where'd you get this new doctrine? They're thinking that he formed a new doctrine. Scraps of philosophy, but ultimately they're saying he's way beneath us. He's way beneath where we are. Does that sound like the elite colleges of, uh, of the world as well? The elitism? That you're not in our club. You don't look and think and act like we do, therefore you got to work on it some more. You'll never get to our status. Verse 19, uh, 18, they call him a babbler. You're stealing from all these other religions and philosophies. You're coming up with, with your own. Watch this, and I'm going to circle it back around to that program that I watched for about three minutes yesterday, uh, Friday. He seemed to be a babbler. Others said he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. 
It all comes down. The Bible, you being connected to your creator, you being connected to a heavenly home, all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what that program had missed that I watched. It was a PBS program, The Mysteries of the Bible. And I'm watching it in the first couple minutes. They're talking about the Bible and how it kind of came together. He said, but really the problem was, the problem was, the problem was these people were sharing and spouting off about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said the problem was the resurrection. It still comes down to the, res the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No resurrection, no redemption. It was a, in that program that I was watching, he's talking about all the other world religions. He said, but, but the problem was this resurrection because these people, they kept sh talking about it. And that's the only way it was spread was through like that. People, they just kept talking about it to where it took on its own life was the terminology used. He was, he was being a stoic, Epicurean elitist that went, the, the problem with the resurrection. There is no problem with the resurrection. We don't have resurrection. We don't have life today. We're not connected to our creator without the resurrection. Now, we glorify. We want to hold up in high esteem the fact that Christ rose from the dead that third day. The wit then he shares the witness publicly. Look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. In other words, you've taken all this stuff, you've put it in a pile, and you got your own thinking uh, pulled together. They took him and brought him, probably not by violence either. They probably didn't take him like, Lasso, you're going with us. Uh, they were more arrogant than they were angry. Have you ever met people like that? More arrogant than they were angry. One just as damaging as the other. They were going to handle Paul intellectually. We're going to outsmart him. He's not that smart. He's a babbler. They were going to handle him in that manner. Areopagus was a place and a council that examined new teachers in a public setting. It was a, a place, uh, an informal meeting. Um, but they wanted Paul to explain this doctrine, or what they knew of it, of Jesus the Christ. Athens was hearing new things. Look in verse 21. Remember how verse 21 ended? And their time in nothing else but rather to tell or hear some new thing. So there's an inquisitive side to this. They want to hear the new things. Hey, babbler, what do you got for us? Some new things, and they're going to try to pick him apart intellectually even though we have to come to christ we come to our god by faith there is still an intellectual reasoned point here it's called the word of god all you got to do is refute it all you got to do is take the bible disprove the resurrection the whole thing falls apart and good luck good luck with that as we Consider the word new thing, these two words, new things. They were, they were curious about new things. You know, the fear of becoming a has-been keeps some from becoming nothing. The person that chases new and ignores old really has no roots. The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There's not a new doctrine. There's not mysteries of the Bible. There's no mystery. Here's the Bible. The mystery is just open it up and read it. That'd be the mystery is you cracking it open and watch what happens. God's word will not return void. Amen? It will not. If you will get in, if you will read God's word, listen to God's word. By the way, I've been listening to more of God's word when I'm out and about, hitting certain books of the Bible and just letting it read to me. Letting it read to me. A, I'm learning how to enunciate some of these words. B, I can do other things. It's amazing what we pick up when we uh, let the word of God get it. Read it. Listen to it. Share it. Talk about it. It's amazing 
that what our eyes gaze upon is what we become. The more we get his word into our heart, our life, our thinking, the more it becomes us. So on one hand, Paul had something new. Tell us something new. On the other hand, they're looking for something new, but not that. And we are in verse 20 there. Um, verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we know, we want to know what these things mean. So he's got an open door. I mean, these guys in a way are teed up and ready to go. You, new doctrine, new teaching, and we're going to pick him apart. But we want to know what, uh, what you're talking about. And that's where this thing is ready to go. And Paul starts in verse 22. Look at what he says. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I can see this. How can I see this? I perceive it for, in verse 23, for as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship. Look at all these things that you worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He met them on the common ground of religion. Isn't that a great place to meet people? Ask open-ended questions and let them talk. Even if they're wrong, let them talk. But Paul meets them on a common ground in verse 22. Paul's starting, he's starting speaking reference to their own altar. This is your world. Hey, tell me about that. I see that. What is that? In verse 23, that's the God he wants to proclaim to you, the one that you do not know. You don't know him. And that's bad. That's evil. You must be an evil person. Or I want to introduce you to you, the God that you do not know. Introductions are an amazing thing to me. Uh, it's interesting that people watch how introductions and, um, you know, being introduced to somebody. You usually don't go, hi, my name's Scott. That's usually not the method of introduction. You start gently. Hello, my name's Scott. And you hopefully end gently as well. It's an introduction. You're being introduced to. God... He wants to share with them the one that they do not know. Perhaps you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ. Who is he? What is he? I've heard the name. I've been to places. I've seen things. But you don't know him personally. I want you to listen carefully. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Who is he? What is this resurrection all about? Paul is getting ready to ratchet that up right now. This God that they didn't know. If they didn't know this God, how could you worship him? Think about it. They have an altar, an idol that says, we're going to worship the unknown God. How can you worship what you don't know? How could this God help them? The message is similar to his sermon in Lystra in Acts 14 that we already shared in Faithful Life. Paul shares these four truths right here, four of them. One. The greatness of God. He is our creator. Amen? Amen? He is our creator. Verse 24. Uh, God who made this world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. I'm so grateful for that, that he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. We had uh, just within the last week, you don't know this, uh, we'll be sharing it when the time, we have the better time. But uh, this temple, our church, by the way, I'm using it, paraphrasing here. Uh, we had to do, we, it was built by hands. We had to redo some guttering work that we, we had a problem that we didn't know. Fortunately, we got it done. I'm grateful that God's saying, hey, Crosspoint, temple built with hands, I'm disappointed in you. He wants our hearts. He's, this, is, this is the God that, that loves your soul. Our God doesn't want something off of you. He wants to give something to you. Think about that as you compare world religions. So he shares the greatness of God. He is our creator. Every thinking person would ask 
ask this question. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Are those honest questions that thinking people ask? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Science attempts to answer the first question. Where did I come from? Philosophy wrestles with the second and the third question. Only Christian faith answers all three. Oh, that's a good spot. Did you see that? Science tries to answer the first one, where did I come from? Evolution. Philosophy tries to answer the second and the third, meaning why am I here and where am I going? And yet the Bible gives us the answer to all three. That's a win-win-win. Trifecta. Paul affirms in the beginning. There's a starting point. This shot down the Epicureans in the Stoic teaching. In the beginning, in verse 24. The next part he says, He is the Lord, the master of what he created. God who made this world and everything in it, he created. He's the master. It puts him in charge. That God is not imprisoned by temple that's made, temples that's made with hands. We see this in 1 Kings Acts 7. Yet, he is not too great to be unconcerned with mankind's needs. In verse 25, look in verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he need anything since he gives to all life. Say life. Breath. And all things. I know I've said this before, but it, I had that moment again last night sitting on the front porch. It was quiet. It was cool. Dog at my feet. Chad Trago drove by. I looked at Carla. I said, Carla, this is one of those moments where life is good. Our God is good. Front porch. Dog at my feet. Bible in my lap. Reading, I'm looking up, I'm pontificating. Does that fit there? I'm thinking, I'm meditating. It was just a good moment. I said, Carl, this is one of those moments that are just special. God's good. And she's going, yeah, whatever, looking on her phone. <laughs> the goodness of God, he's concerned with our hearts and our souls. The goodness of God, he is a provider. He gives us life. This earth is alive, man. If you have eyes to see it, let's look. When you go out today, the sky, it's just this earth. It's living and it's alive. God did that. God did that. Um, the goodness of God, he provides man's pride, pride themselves in serving God, but God really serves man in the end. God is self-sufficient. He needs nothing from us. He desires, but he needs nothing. Their temples didn't, didn't, come, uh, didn't contain God. Their services didn't add to God. That's not how it happens. In two statements, Paul wiped out their entire religious system in two statements. One verse, really. He wiped it all out. Now, this could be offensive to some. If you grew up in the traditions of a religion, in the traditions of a faith, in the traditions of a denomination, you, there's some pitfalls there. Grow up in the word. Grow up in the word. It is God who gives us what we need, life, breath, health. God is the source of every good gift and so on and so on. Verse 26 picks up. And it says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. The government of God, meaning he is ruler. We get nervous and anxious and we look at our world and world powers and politics. How many of you know that the Bible tells us back in the white pages, back in the Old Testament, that God knows who the rulers are? God, he, rulers and kings, they think they own this thing, but the New Testament says kings and kingdoms will all pass away. He knows. We don't have to get gut wrenched. Be concerned. Vote. Vote. We have these opportunities. Be concerned. Do a part. But ultimately, God is the ruler for the believer. Verse 26. He made from one blood 
this sect of the Greeks thought they were a special race. <clears throat> made from one blood every nation. So that shot that down again. Everything that they had built their life upon was being wiped out right in front of their eyes. From one race. One blood, I should say. One blood. It doesn't matter your dialect. Where you're born at. In fact, look in verse 26. This is... This was unnerving. The very end of 26, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God knows what people group's going to live where and when. That, that could be unnerving. But from it doesn't matter your dialect, your race. It doesn't matter your status. If you have money, you're broke, you're poor, you're rich. All of that doesn't matter. We're one. We're one. This sect of Greeks as well, I'm saying sect, S-E-C-T, thought they had a special land. Paul said their pre-appointed times and the boundaries. Wipe that away again as well. Be careful. You may have some things set up in your mind that God's going to go, hey, you done reading the Bible? You read the Bible? Show me wipe that away. You got bad thinking. I share with Bible quests, thinking, thinking. They thought it was funny. Verse 27 says, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Listen to this line. God is not distant. Verse 27 is application and purpose to verse 26. Here's the application. This is straight out of a John MacArthur quote or commentary. God's objective for man in revealing himself as the creator, the ruler, controller of the world. Men have no excuse for not knowing about God because he has revealed himself in man's conscience and in the physical world. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. As we draw application for us today, what's the application? It's to be reminded of our connection with our creator through Jesus Christ. He's introducing Jesus Christ to some here. We are introducing Jesus Christ this morning to anybody within earshot that doesn't know him. You may think, well, I've, I've, I know the name. I know, I grew up in church. I, I, I know the name. We're not talking about that kind of introduction. I'm talking about introducing you to the Savior. That when you turn from your sin, you turn from yourself and you fall forward into the arms of the resurrection. You fall forward into the cross and you deny self and fall into him. He says, I will take up the residence in your life. You will be indwelt with him. And it all comes from this word. The implanted word which is able to save your soul, James. Here's the church. As we shared, one was resisting the word. One received the word, this church, or this area, not church, this area were, was ridiculing the word. Now, I'm not going to, we're going to end on the reading today. And you may think, well, how's it end? Uh, if you'll look at the um, uh, very last verse, 34, and some men joined him and believed, but not all, but not all. Narrow and wide. Narrow is that gate. Wide is the other one. Narrow is the one to life. Wide is the one to destruction. Some, but not all. They came, you come to him individually. I hope that you have considered the reading of the word today. Consider the preaching of the word. That it would find its way to your heart. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would take this word and do a work and, and get you inquisitive, get you asking, get you thinking. You have trusted people, trusted friends, whether you're on Facebook today or you're, you're here, you have people that would love to sit and just, just keep the dialogue going. If you'll allow me for a moment, I want to talk to the church, Cross Point Baptist Church. The fact that we're here and we're going over this portion of Scripture, let this motivate and inspire you today. Don't view, I'm not a Paul, I could never be Paul. There's some elements here that, that you can be. The marketplace, daily, daily pursuing scripture, marketplace, daily seeing people, letting your light shine. All these are areas of application for our life. 
But at some point, you've got to speak. At some point, you've got to, if you're going to really be brokenhearted over souls, at some point, church, you're going to have to say, can I introduce, can we talk about Jesus Christ? What do you know about Jesus Christ? Maybe you can teach me something. You have to start the dialogue, and you have to be able and ready to speak the things of God, the things of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a moment of reflection and then prayer. We definitely do not want to be arrogant this morning in our approach to the word or be dogmatic in what we believe. What we want to be is honoring to our God. What we want to be is truthful and honest. And the key word for Crosspoint is to be genuine. So as I make this prayer, I would ask you to invite you to know that the altar is open, to come and pray privately up front if you so desire. It's also open to come if somebody wanted to come and pray with you. It's open for those reasons. Won't you come as you consider these things and make them personal but applicable in your life? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as Andrew leads us in a song of invitation? We're not rushing anything. It's not our goal, but we're going to take this time to allow you to make this personal and not just corporate. Andrew. Thank you.
my only boast is you. Just a couple of announcements as we dismiss. Uh, first of all, don't forget, right after the service, we will have our Bible Quest Lunch and Learn. This is training for anybody that works in any part of the Bible Quest ministry. That's uh, Vacation Bible School, Awana, uh, any of the, the teaching ministries on Sunday morning. Uh, so if you have any questions about that, feel free to, to ask. But uh, that, that training session will be right after the service. We're going to have lunch for those who are attending uh, if we can, we'd like to, to stack up about half of the rows, so about five of the rows. We'll be bringing in the tables and chairs for that lunch. And again, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask myself or Pastor Rick. Uh, we will have Facebook Live tonight at 7 o'clock, so don't forget about that. Wednesday night, we have our summer surge here at the church at 7 o'clock. The New Life class uh, will be having a pool party at the Joneses. Now, I don't know if maybe we can arrange a, like a baby pool or something here at the church. I don't know, something, but... Uh, they'll be having a pool party for the New Life students, but here at the church we'll be having Summer Surge. So the pool party at the Joneses is at 6 o'clock. Here at Summer Surge uh, on Wednesday will be at 7 o'clock. With that, you are dismissed.